Heavenly Father, we do thank you uh, for the gift it is to have your word. Lord, so many people throughout the world seek to find out what you have said, and they turn to all kinds of things to do so. They turn to people who claim to have your word in their heads and to be able to proclaim your word. Lord, people look to uh, false writings throughout history and think that that is your word. Lord, people even think in their own heads. They listen to what thoughts come up and they think that they are your words. And some people even turn to narcotics, to drugs, to try and hear the voice of God. But Lord, it is only in your word in the Bible that we know you speak and you speak so clearly there, Lord. Lord, may we know that it is a privilege here that we do not have to search all over the world for your word, but we have it right before us here this morning. And Lord, may we treat it as such. May we sit under it, not over it, and be taught from it this morning. And Lord, we pray that you may give us much of your Holy Spirit's help May he enlighten our minds as we read your word together and then may our hearts be changed and transformed to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, I don't usually think that I've ever been particularly prosperous in my life. I always feel like I'm lacking a little so that I can't declare myself as prosperous. When I was a child... I always lacked certain toys, and so I wouldn't have called myself prosperous then. When I was a teenager and a young adult, and moved to more sort of adult toys of computer games and movies and music, and I always lacked those things uh, in some degree, so that I felt I still wasn't quite prosperous. There were still some artists that I wanted the music of that I didn't have, or some movies or new video games that had come out, and I couldn't quite afford to buy everything, and so I am not prosperous, I thought, as a teenager and as an adult. And even now, to some degree, I think, oh, I'm not prosperous because there are still many books that I still don't own and that I would like to own. When I've got my own library and with multiple rows of bookshelves and I can go in and uh, select books and I don't have to travel to borrow books, then I will be prosperous. That's what I think in my head. And I think we are like that to a lot to some degree ourselves, is that we think that we aren't prosperous, that there's always someone else who is prosperous, not us. Today we're going to look at how prosperous the Israelites are. We've been looking at the Israelites for a couple of weeks now. Uh, we've been looking at Ezra, and we saw initially where, uh, in the context of Ezra, where the Israelites were uh, when the book opens. It was that part of history where we've uh, had the, the kingdom split into two, uh, into Israel and Judah after Solomon, and then gradually the kingdom of Israel is wiped out with Assyria, the kingdom uh, of Judah is eventually taken over by Babylon. The Israelites are taken away to exile into Babylon. They're there as slaves. And then they wait there 70 years, and then Ezra begins. And Ezra begins with the decree of Cyrus that they can go back to Jerusalem. They've been 70 years away from their homeland, and they're now allowed to return 
to Jerusalem and to take up residence there again. And then uh, last sermon that we had on Ezra, we looked at all those lists of names in chapter 2, and uh, it was quite a list we saw, and we saw uh, uh, how that is basically God's freedom list there. And so every person that is mentioned there is important because they're all on God's freedom list, and we looked at how um, God still has a freedom list, and we should make sure that we're on God's freedom list today. But today I want to look at the Israelites again, not just how they're on God's freedom list here, but I want to firstly look at how prosperous they are. And so that's my first main point this morning. If you've got a bulletin there, and I've got my six points there for you to follow along if that's uh, what you would like to do. And you see that my first main point is that the Israelites were prosperous. They were in slavery in Babylon. They were there not of their own accord, But they were very prosperous while they were there, and they come back with great prosperity. How do we know this? Well, Ezra chapter 2, verses 64 and following actually tell us this. You may not think they do, but if we unpack it a bit, you start to see that they are indeed very prosperous. What does it say in verse 64? It says the whole company numbered 42,360. And then verse 65 In your black church Bibles of page 462, page 462, verse 65, it says, Besides, besides, there's 7,337 men servants and maidservants. They've actually got men servants and maidservants besides their own company. They've got servants. Now, I don't know about any of you, but I've never had a servant in my life. If anyone would like to be my servant, I'm more than willing to let them do so, uh, to, to take orders from me day to day and, and live. Uh, you could live in the manse, we'd give you a room, and uh, you could be my servant if you want. But servants are generally a sign of great prosperity. Not everybody has servants. Only the rich have servants. And here there's 7,330 servants, which is one for every sixth Israelite. One in six Israelites has a servant. That's a great sign of prosperity. How else do we know that they're uh, prosperous? Well, we continue in verse 65. It says, besides their 737 337 men servants and maidservants, they also had 200 men and women singers. What are these singers? Well, they're not the temple singers. They've already been listed earlier in the verses. These are private singers. It's like having your own private rock band. I mean, they would have used them for weddings and for funerals to help with the singing there, and even on the road trip. What do you do on road trips when you go with mum and dad and a long trip in the car when you're little? You sing songs. And so they've got a long road trip here. It's probably taken them three, four months to get back from Babylon to Israel. And so it's good that they've got 200 singers there going with them. But it's a great sign of prosperity. If you can afford music, you are prosperous. We have music in our homes, most of us, because we can't afford to do so. We can pay for stereos, we can pay for the music, uh, so that we pay the royalties to those people when we buy music, so that they continue to compose music for us. But not everybody has access to music around the world, to good music. We can all try and sing, but to actually sing well costs, because not everybody can sing well. If you want to have someone that can sing well, you have to pay. These Israelites are very prosperous. They aren't just coming back. They're coming back with 200 men and women singers there. So that's uh, one in every 70. One singer for every 70 person there. 
How else do we know that they're prosperous? Well, verse 66 tells us, and verse 67, they had 736 horses, 245 mules, 435 camels, and 6,720 donkeys. So that's roughly 8,000 animals there. So that's one for basically every fifth person has an animal. Now these are animals of transport, and it is a sign of prosperity if you can afford transport. If you've got a car, it's a sign of prosperity, that you have the ability to transport yourself wherever you need to. And so these people, they've got the transport that they need to load up all their belongings and to travel back to Jerusalem. They've got it there. They are putting it all on their own backs. They've got animals, and they can ride on those animals. But it's interesting what sort of animals they have. What sort of animals do they have? They have horses, they have mules, they have camels, and they have donkeys. Camels and donkeys are kind of a given. But horses and mules are quite quite odd that they've got those. Because horses and mules were royalty and nobility owned those. Common people didn't have a horse. They had a donkey, yes. They might have a camel, yes. But to have a horse meant you were quite wealthy. To have a mule meant you were quite wealthy as well. These were expensive animals that they've got there. And they've got quite a few of them. They do have a, most of them are donkeys there. But they do have some horses. They do have some mules. These Israelites are very prosperous. What else do we learn about these Israelites here? Well, my second main point is that the Israelites had an opportunity to give. They are prosperous, but they also had an opportunity to give. When they're getting back to this land... Is everything just waiting for them? The houses are constructed, the temple is there, ready for them to just come in and live there? No, everything has been destroyed, remember. Jerusalem is pretty much a dump that they're coming back to. They're going to have to rebuild. And that includes the temple. The temple was torn down completely. Jeremiah gives us a good account of that. And I encourage you to flip over to that. Jeremiah chapter 52, the last chapter of Jeremiah. So it goes Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. So Jeremiah, chapter 52, page 811 of your black church Bibles, page 811. Jeremiah, chapter 52, verse 12, we see how badly the temple was destroyed. 811 of your black church Bibles. Jeremiah 52, verse 12 reads, On the tenth day of the fifth month in the nineteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, commander of the imperial guard, who served the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He set fire to the temple of the Lord, the royal palace and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every important building he burned down. The whole Babylonian army under the commander of the imperial guard broke down all the walls around Jerusalem. Nebuzaradan, the commander of the guard, carried into exile some of the poorest people and those who remained in the city along with the rest of the craftsmen and those who had gone over to the king of Babylon. But Nebuzaradan left behind the rest of the poorest people of the land to work the vineyards and fields. The Babylonians broke up the bronze pillars. This is describing the temple, what they're doing to the temple. They broke up the bronze pillars, the movable stands and the bronze sea that were at the temple of the Lord and they carried all the bronze to Babylon. So they didn't just throw it out, they took it off and and took it back. They knew bronze was valuable. Verse 18 continues, They also took away the pots, shovels, wick trimmers, 
sprinkling bowls, dishes and all the bronze articles used in the temple service. The commander of the imperial guard took away the basins, censers, sprinkling bowls, pots, lampstands, dishes and bowls used for drink offerings, all that were made of pure gold and of, or silver. The bronze from the two pillars, the sea and the twelve bronze bulls under it and the movable stands which King Solomon had made for the temple of the Lord was more than could be weighed. Each of the pillars was 18 cubits high and 12 cubits in circumference. Each was four fingers thick and hollow. The bronze capital on top of the one pillar was five cubits high and was was five cubits high and was decorated with a network and pomegranates of bronze all around. The other pillar with its pomegranates was similar. There were 96 pomegranates on the sides. The total number of pomegranates above the surrounding network was 100. They just stripped the place bare and set it on fire. The temple is in no shape at all. But the, So that means that the Israelites had an opportunity to give here to the work of the Lord. The temple was a witness to God. To worship him appropriately was done at the temple. Sacrifices were meant to be done at that site. If God is to be worshipped appropriately, the temple must exist. There is a great need here for the Israelites to give to the work of the Lord. And so do they give? Well, Ezra 2 tells us that yes, they did. Back to Ezra 2, page 462 of the Black Church Bibles. It says, verse 68, When when they arrived at the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, some of the heads of the family gave free will offerings toward the rebuilding of the house of God on its site. And so my third main point is that some Israelites gave generously to the work of the Lord. There's a need here, and they gave very generously. How generously? Well, verse 69 tells us, according to their ability, they gave to the treasury for this work 61,000 drachmas of gold, 5,000 minas of silver, and 100 priestly garments. Okay. Does anyone know what a drachma is? Does anyone know what a mina is? How do we know that this is generous? Well, the NIV gives us some indication by giving us some little footnotes. You drop down to the, the, um, the margin there. It says, uh, when you come to 61,000 drachmas of gold, you've got a little uh, letter B. Drop down and you see that is about 1,100 pounds, which is about 500 kilograms of gold. 500 kilos of gold. That's a lot of gold that they're giving to the work of the Lord there. What about the silver? Is that much silver? 5,000 minas of silver. Drop down to the margin, let us see. What does it say? That is about three tonnes. About 2.9 metric tonnes, the NIV translation says there. Three tonnes of silver. Now, what's the value of gold and what's the value of silver in those days? Well, it's hard to know. But uh, one commentator gives some indication as to the silver, how much uh, this is worth in today's terms. Uh, He he, uh, says that one mina of silver was worth five years' wages. One mina of silver, five years' wages, which means they give 5,000, so that's 25,000 years' wages that they're giving there. 25,000 years' wages. So if we say, let's say an average income today... $30,000 would be very conservative. Um, $30,000 times that by 25,000, so $30,000 a year, 25,000 years wages, $750 million just in silver alone. So that's 
we, we try and get some estimate there. I can't say that's for sure how much it's worth, but that gives you some indication there. There's a lot of money being given to the work of the Lord here. These Israelites are being very generous. And not just gold and silver, but they also give some garments there. A hundred priestly garments are given. And so if we know how many priests there are, which uh, we can see from verses uh, 36 to 39, which we looked at last time we preached, I preached on Ezra, uh, that's basically one garment for every uh, 40th priest. So they're very generous towards the work of the Lord here. Now we've seen that the Israelites are prosperous. That was my first point. Second point was that there was a need. Third is that the Israelites are generous. That's them. What about us as Australians? Are there any similarities between us? Can we learn anything from this text about us? Well, we can say that Christians in Australia are prosperous. Can't we? That's what my fourth main point is. Christians in Australia are prosperous. The wealth you have in Australia is incredible. I said at the beginning, I don't feel particularly prosperous. But in reality, I am very prosperous. And so are you. You don't wonder where your next meal is coming from. You don't think, will I eat tonight? That's an indication of prosperity. And if you are wondering about whether you, what you will eat tonight, it's usually, is it going to be something I really like? Is it going to be some sort of expensive food that I, I really enjoy that I'm going to buy and have for my dinner? And when it comes to drinks, we spend an awful lot of money on different drinks. We don't just drink water. We have a whole range of options. You can have soft drink and then you can have uh, coffee. You can have really expensive coffee. You can have cheap coffee. But it's all an indication that we are very prosperous. And we don't just cook at home. We eat out and spend a lot of money at restaurants. We are a prosperous people when you look at our food. And when you think about where you're going to sleep tonight... You don't have to worry, do you? Most of you have a place where you're going to sleep tonight and you know that you're going to sleep there. And many of you actually own the place that you sleep at. And so you know that you're probably going to have that place for a very long time to come. That's a sign of prosperity. And a lot of you aren't worried about income, whether you will have money in a steady stream coming in the future because you have a job Or you know that even if you lose your job, the government will help you out. You'll be able to get the dole or you'll be able to get some sort of pension. You have a steady stream of income coming in. That's a sign of prosperity, that you don't have to worry about income. And we as Australians also spend an awful lot of money on entertainment. And that is a sign of prosperity as well. We spend money on holidays that you don't need to take to, to live, but we do take them, and that's a sign of prosperity. We spend a lot of money on movies, music, computer games. Not, that's not all of you, but some of us uh, spend money on p- computer games. Uh, books. The fact that I buy books is a great sign of prosperity. Many people in the past didn't own any books at all. We are a po- prosperous people here in Australia. And now these are blessings from God, and, and not to be shunned, I'm not saying that we shouldn't go on holidays, we shouldn't spend money on entertainment, we shouldn't spend money on expensive food if we like uh, that kind of food. 
But we've got to recognize that they are blessings from God, and God does bless his people richly. Abraham was a very wealthy man. He was also a very righteous man. God does bless his people with great wealth. But out of this prosperity, we should be like the Israelites and giving to the work of God. But then you say, oh, that's the Israelites. Is there a need for me to give today? I don't have a temple that has been torn down and all the bronze carted off to another country. So is there a need for me to give to the work of God? Or is it only the Israelites that had a need out of their prosperity to give? Well, I tell you, my fifth main point is that Christians in Australia have an opportunity to give to the work of God. Christians in Australia do have an opportunity to give to the work of God. Just like the Israelites had an opportunity to give to the work of the Lord, we also, as Christians, have an opportunity to give to the Lord's temple today. We don't have a temple like the Israelites did, but there is a new temple. What is the new temple? The new temple is Jesus Christ and his church. We are part of the temple of God with Jesus as the capstone and the cornerstone, the foundation stone. And the church is not as great as it could be. It's not as big as it could be. It could be a lot bigger and have a lot more people as part of that temple. And so you have an opportunity to give to make the temple grow. God likes us to give so that the temple will grow, the church. So you can give for the work in your own community. You can give for pastors and for people to witness to others in your own community of Des Moines and the Sydney area so that the temple grows there. You can give, there is a need to give so the temple grows overseas with missionaries going into areas where the temple of God really doesn't exist at all. It's very dark in some countries. And the temple of God is in basically non-existent or in bad shape and needs help. There is a great need throughout the world for that. You can pay for the training of workers, students, pay to Bible college, support Bible college, support students as they go through the colleges so that they can go out and build up the temple of God. There is a great need to give in Australia to the work of God. But does that mean you should give? If the need is there, does that mean that you need to give to that, that you should give? Well, my sixth main point is that Christians in Australia should give generously. We should be like the Israelites and give generously. They saw a need and they gave. We should see a need and we should give as well. Why do I have to say should? Why do I have to make a point like this? Isn't it a given that everyone should give to the work of God so that the church increases and grows? Well, not all Australian Christians do give generously. And throughout the Western world, you see the figures on how much people give to the work of God's kingdom throughout the world. It's very low. And I... Got to be careful here because our church is a very generous church. We had our AGM on Friday night and we can see that the people here, we're small in number, but we do give generously. But I don't know everybody's income. I don't know whether you could give more. And so I'm going to speak on this and ask, are you giving as generously as you could be? There is a tendency, like the Israelites 
for only some to give generously. Did you notice that? Look at the text. What does it say? Verse 68. When they arrived at the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, some of the heads of the families gave freewill offerings towards the rebuilding of the house of God on its site. Only some gave. And that's the case with Christians. Many give generously. But it's always just some give generously. Why do only some give generously to the work of God? Why is giving such a problem? Well, some claim that they give generously, they will give generously when they die. They accumulate lots of assets as a, as a Christian, and they will give when they die all that they have to God. And there is something to that in leaving money to the church, but it doesn't really show generosity. When you can't have the money anymore, that's when you're going to give it. I mean, that's big of you, isn't it? When you have no, no access to it anymore, you'll say, oh, yes, um, these people can have it. That's not a sign of generosity. And that's because, why do people have such a problem with giving? Because they like to trust money. We like to trust money because we're scared about not having money and the insecurity that we feel in our hearts when we don't have money. But here's a secret. No amount of money can make you feel secure. No matter how much money you have, you can't feel fully secure because money can be taken away very, very easily through failed investments. Stock markets can crash. We've seen that in the last couple of years throughout the world. Money is very elusive when it comes to investments. But even things can happen in your life that can consume large amounts of money that you've stored up for security. You could have some sort of health problem, major health accident, which costs a lot of money that Medicare doesn't cover. There are some, and if you, if you get diagnosed with cancer, there's some treatments that aren't covered by Medicare. And you may want to pay top flight surgeons to try and solve your problem. And they cost big time. And the money that you've accumulated, just bye-bye. That you had accumulated for security, it just disappears with some sort of health accident and huge medical expenses. Or you could lose your job. You may not have the job that you have in the future. And so that constant stream of money that you were banking on and enjoying and trusting in, it just evaporates. Or you could have some major lawsuit filed out against you. Some accident could happen, and next thing you know, someone who knows that you've got a lot of money stored up is after that money and wants to sue you for it. Money is very fleeting. It's not something to be trusted in. God can take it away if you trust in it very easily, and that's what he did with these Israelites when they returned. Many of them gave generously, but we see in Haggai that with a series of bad crops, most of their money had eroded altogether and they were starting to be poor again. They had the big houses that they built and invested in when they came back, but that's about all they had. They were running out of money. We can't trust in money. We have to trust in God for security. And so we should be ready to give away our money because we trust in God that he will provide for us how should you give generously? Well, I think primarily through the church. 
That's the place where most of your money should funnel through. One, a couple of reasons for that. Your primary interest should be in your own community. You should be giving generously to the work of your local church. You should have an interest in the local community that you're in, and so a lot of your money should be going there. Also, a good reason to give to the local church is so that the people of the church know how much the giving power is of the church as well, so that we can appropriately put money in different places. You may not know what are the best places to put your money into, and it may not be possible for you to support one missionary to go overseas on your own, you may, uh, most of us aren't wealthy enough to pay for an entire missionary to go, but combined we can help in a greater uh, way than we can on our own. And so as a church, you can give to the church so that they can use your money in ways that you cannot and use it in ways that are wiser than you. You may not know which missionaries to support, which are the best ones, which organisations to support, which ones are going to use your money wisely. And so that's where you rely on the leadership of the church to know how best to invest your money in the kingdom of God. I'm not saying, though, that you can't give individually, but I'm saying that primarily you should be giving to the work of the local church and seeing that work then extend over throughout the world. How much should you give? Well, tithing is often brought up when it comes to giving. Tithing is important in the Old Testament. There's a clear instruction there to give 10% of your income to God's work. But there's no command in the New Testament to give 10% of your income to the work of God. But I do think 10% when you're prosperous is a good place to start. If the Israelites were commanded when they had a lot less than we did to give 10%, And they didn't know the grace of God to the extent that we do in Jesus Christ. We're part of the new covenant. Everything you see with the old covenant is surpassed in the new covenant with Jesus Christ. The law is extended to greater detail when you see the Sermon on the Mount preached by Jesus. So I think 10% is a great place to start if we're prosperous. And then look at how far we can go beyond 10%. But I've got to be careful there in saying 10% because not everybody is able to give in such a way. We need to remember to give according to our ability. We can't trust in money, but we've also got to be wise with our money and make sure that we, uh, we supply the needs of those of, of ourselves and those who are dependent upon us. And so we see that with the Israelites. What does it say, verse 69? According to their ability, they gave to the treasury. Okay. So some people really need the church to give to them. They can't give 10%. They can't give anything. They need to withdraw from the church of God. But many of us can give 10%, but you've got to be careful. Don't be like some of the monks in medieval church history who just sell up everything and then depend upon others to provide for their needs. We are supposed to look out for ourselves and give, as the Israelites did, according to their ability. So where do you stand with your giving? Do you know that you're prosperous as an Australian or do you deny that? Do you listen to the devil as he lies and says, oh, no, you're not prosperous? Do you know that the need is great? Every day more and more people go to hell for eternity because Christians don't give as much as they could, that the gospel doesn't go out into certain lands. Now, God is sovereign in all of that, but we do have a responsibility to make sure that people are hearing the gospel. And is it that they're not hearing because we aren't giving to the need that is there? Do you give generously or would you rather trust in money before God? Do you set yourself at a tithe and stay at that or less? 
Or do you look at whether you can go easily beyond 10% in giving of your income? And do you give responsibly according to your ability? Now, there's always a danger when speaking on giving. Many people have this perception that churches are just after money. And sadly, that's true for some churches throughout the world. I was just speaking to someone, a member of our congregation recently, and their father had heard a a pastor say, if you do not give to the church, you are going to hell. And sadly, that is a message that comes out of pastors' lips all over the world. That if you don't give to the church, you are going to hell. And that does give people the perception that churches are just after their money. But the other danger is that I never speak about money. That some pastors, they talk about money all the time, but then others don't talk about money at all and about giving to the work of God. And if I'm to preach through the Bible, the Bible talks a lot about giving. We see that here, these verses here. And we see that in the New Testament, Jesus talks an awful lot about money. And so if I'm to be faithful to Scripture, I do have to speak on giving from time to time. But I want to make clear that if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, we don't want your money. If you're not a Christian, money is not what we desire from you. And money is not what God wants from you. You cannot enter heaven by giving. If you give generously to the church, it's not going to save you. It's not going to get you into heaven. It's not going to stop you going to hell. What you need to do is not give financially to the church, but accept the gift that has been given you of Jesus Christ. He died at the cross so that you could go to heaven. It's not about what you do with your money. It's about what God has done with his son and given him so that you could have your sins forgiven and enter into that glorious paradise that we all look forward to. You don't need to give if you're not a Christian. You need to repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ. Don't get the perception that the church is after your money. We're not after your money. We're after your soul. We want you to repent of your sins and believe in Jesus. Let us speak with him now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have blessed us so much here in Australia that so many of us are very prosperous but Lord we do recognise that the need for the growth of your temple, the church is so great Lord help us to not just be generous towards ourselves but help us to be generous towards you may the Christians here this morning and who listen to your word throughout the world Be generous givers to the work. And may we see your church grow and increase and the temple of God be throughout all the lands of the world. Lord, we do pray if anyone here this morning is not a Christian, may they not think that if they give generously to the church, that will make them a Christian, that will save them. May they realise that they just need to accept the gift that has been given, Jesus Christ. Bring them to repentance and faith this morning as only you can do, O Lord. Give them a conviction of their sin and their need to be right with you through Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.